0: Pepe que quiere marcharse de ese, miedo. de ese miedo. De momento está enchufado. Ahora justo lo digo y justo se pierde. Ay, ¡A punto ha estado de cometer penalti! Pepe, 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 gol de Nicola pepe pepe, pepe. Nicola
1: This is ArsCast Extra.
2: Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from GunnerBlog. James. Good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, Andrew. How are you? I'm alright. I'm alright. I hear your mower guy there in the background. He's doing the doing the thing with his He Watson. won't die,
1: Andrew. He just won't die, that guy. I every <laughs> Sunday night I say my prayers and hope he will pass on. And then every Monday morning he's
2: back. It's what can I do? Seems like an extreme solution to hope for his demise I'm, rather I'm than. I'm going to have of- to take
1: matters into my own hand. Andrew. He leaves me no choice other than to commit an act of murder.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Look, if you're looking for an alibi, you don't have one now because it's here in in audio format. Oh, shit. You know, if something shit. happens to that guy now, you're suspect number one.
1: I will be getting a knock on my door, mm. for sure. Uh, whenever uh, you know. <laughs> it eventually happens,
2: <laughs> whenever you, whenever you break and snap and just you know take matters into your own hands, of course. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, how is everything? Are you uh, are you excited as an England fan now that the uh, the potential of it coming home appears to be greater? And by it, I mean football, and not Bakayo Saka on an inflatable rainbow unicorn, which is perhaps one of the greatest images I've ever seen in my life.
1: I'm just trying to think if murdering a gardener would contravene my CBBC contract. I'll have to check the small print on Mm. that later. But as for it coming (laughs) home, a top said inflatable unicorn, I am excited. I can't lie to you, Andrew. I mean, the nation has been, as is often the case in tournaments, swept up. I think our semi-final exit against Denmark is going to be some way to puncture the inflatable (laughs) mythical creature. Um... But, yes, I am excited. And as for that image of Saka, I mean, absolutely extraordinary. In this sort of era of meme culture, Yeah, uh, it was almost like it had been deliberately concocted to set the internet aflame.
2: Well, I mean, they even put out a blank Saka image that people could use for their own photoshops and things like that. So even those... That, with, what, the
1: FA put no, that the, out? No,
2: England, on the, on the actual at England account after posting the pictures, <laughs> they put, here's a blank one, do your... Do your worst or do your best or whatever it is with the the photoshops and stuff like that so even people with minimal photoshop experience could uh, could have at it and, and make the images etc et etc cetera, et cetera, oh, that were flying around but it is it's very wholesome, isn't it Pakao Osaka, on an it inflatable is. rainbow unicorn.
1: And it's, um, Do you know what? It's quite reassuring as well, because technically he missed the last England game with a, an injury problem. Mm. I think from that picture, from the photo evidence we have, we can assume it's not too serious. Um, <laughs> he seems to be absolutely fine. And yeah, yeah it's just a, a great, great picture. I mean you know i think jonathan liu wrote a piece in the guardian uh, after saka's first appearance in the tournament saying welcome to the summer of saka was kind of the thrust of it right and uh, that you know if this does transpire to be the summer of saka i think that will be the image that sort of encapsulates it
2: if england um, do win it i want to see bukayo saka paraded through the streets of islington held a high while sitting on that unicorn
1: as do i as do I. With the I. I trophy think
2: around his neck uh, and, and everything else. <laughs> Leap from the
1: roof of Islington Town Hall <laughs> uh, with only the inflatable unicorn to protect him. No, I, I, um, I was at the England-Germany game, which feels like ever so long ago. It
2: does, wow. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and I've got to
1: say that was quite a. Uh,
2: you looked like you had a good time. In fairness, I saw some of the pictures. You looked like you were enjoying yourself. I had
1: a really good time and it was it was the best stadium experience I've had for a really long time, as you probably no doubt mm. aware. It felt, I think it was half capacity, but it felt absolutely rocking. I mean, the atmosphere was quite incredible. Mm. And um, to be part of that after such a long time was uh, fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I... I I can't lie, I do like an international tournament. I do tend to get behind England when they come around. And things look really promising for them. I mean, they've been very fortunate the way the draw has panned out. Um, You know, Ukraine weren't much of a test for them in the quarterfinal. Absolute steamroller of them, really. I mean, they didn't really turn up. Um, And now Denmark. And to be fair, Denmark look very good. They have recovered incredibly from that initial setback with the Christian Eriksen trauma yeah. um, and they've got some really good players uh, I think they're ranked top 10 in the world It's. I think that would be a good game
2: yeah I, yeah I think so too and I, I guess for everybody uh, beyond the teams uh, that are involved Denmark would be I suppose the neutrals favourite I think you so know? not just yeah. because of what happened with Christian Eriksen but obviously I think that has you know the story it has Uh, that has developed out of that is really something quite remarkable. It feels like a a sort of six-part Netflix documentary at some point in the future, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and I think they'll kind of be the heroes of the tournament, almost whatever happens Mm. at this stage. I mean, it's been such an incredible story. I feel for their fans. I think it's... Not really possible for them to come to Wembley from Denmark for Mm. this game, I seem to read somewhere. I'm sure some will find a way, as seems to be happening across Europe. Uh, You know, a few international supporters are, I don't know, sneaking in via other countries and what have you. But um, (laughs) that's another big thing in um, England's favour, of course. I mean, if they do get to the final, they'll have played seven of their eight games at Wembley Stadium. It's a, I mean, it's a fix. It's a massive
2: advantage. It so. is, yeah, home advantage. And look, there are probably still some Danish people left in the UK, so there might be some of those around uh, for oh, that game. But so, I, yeah, so, yeah, I am looking forward to that one. Um, and Italy versus... And the other
1: semi looks tasty too.
2: Yeah, Italy versus Spain as well. So, uh, I mean, what what did you make of the, the, the Italy-Belgium game? I had a question here. Might as well do some questions while we're doing this. Uh, it comes from Piers Bate, who says, uh, Goodly morning. I was reading this morning about Italy only allowing the ball to be in play for nine of the final 21 minutes against Belgium. Do you think this should be celebrated as controlling the game or just part of the game? Or uh, he said, do you think we could move to a system uh, similar to basketball or rugby with more accurate in-game clock? I suppose the other aspect of this is there was some criticism of Italy for their... Um, I mean, some people would call it cheating. Other people would call it gamesmanship. I I thought it was really quite funny that there was so much focus on this, like it's the first time it's ever happened. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness, they've really brought the game into disrepute here. We would never do anything like that. It's scandalous. How could they? It was bizarre, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I... (laughs) I was going to ask what you made of, actually, because I know, you know, you are, um, what's the word? You don't mind a bit of shithousing at well, times.
2: Well, once we're doing it, I very much object to it when it's being done to us. But as sure. you know, I feel like there is a need for cynicism within the game of football and... and- you know you have to be able to make it as difficult as possible for the opposition in any way you can, you know if it means bending the rules a little bit, then you know so be it people People talk about man City being a great footballing team right a really talented team with lots of great players, but you know their their um, their rotational fouling, etc cetera, etc, cetera, is part of. Of what they did, same with Barcelona, you know, they, they um, at their best were an amazing football team, but they were also like kind of snide. And yeah. those two things go, not to say they have to go hand in hand, but quite often they do.
1: No, I mean, you know, it's a slightly different case, but look at even the Invincibles and their disciplinary record. I mean, mm. it was pretty checkered. I think that's the thing about this Italy side. If that's all they had, I would understand the degree of focus on it, mm. but they're actually playing some really good stuff, and they scored two sensational goals in that game, yeah. really fantastic goals. I mean, obviously in seniors was, like, you know, brilliant strike, edge of the box, but I think I preferred the first one. Um, I've forgotten who actually scored it now. Berardi, was wasn't the, it? Yeah, I think so. Just the speed of footwork, you know, inside mm. the penalty box to create the space and lash it into the far corner. And I think, you know, Mancini's obviously done a really interesting job with that Italy squad because I don't think this is the archetypal Italy side that only defends. Mm. I think that the, going forward, they play some really nice stuff. Obviously, when they've got a lead to protect, they can kind of lean into Chiellini and, you know, that experience that they yeah. have. Um But I think there is more to them than that. I actually think, overall, I think they're the best team I've seen in this tournament. And I think... um you know, were it not for the Wembley factor, I think I'd mm. probably have them as favourites. It was
2: Barella, uh, actually. Barella. goal. yeah. You um, go. And, you know, I, I quite enjoyed... Look, I thought the Italian goals were very good, but I also thought the Belgian defending was pretty terrible. Like, the second mm. one, was it Alderweireld who just stood off and let him get the shot in? I mean, take nothing away from the finish. And I <laughs> I know there was all the focus on, uh, on the player who was down injured, um, you know as as like this was simply unacceptable behaviour. But like if you're a defender of the experience of Thomas Vermalen, play the ball, play the whistle, you know, don't, don't lose focus and start giving out about a guy who's down on the ground who was just trying to get a penalty, I guess, which is what players yeah. do all the time. And then all of a sudden, two seconds later, you're being whizzed by and a bloke is firing the ball into the net, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, is it fair to question... The selection of Thomas Vermaelen. I mean, I, I don't know a lot about the other Belgian options. I know they've got Dedrick Boyata, who I think is with Hertha Berlin now. Mm. Um, but Vermaelen's been in Japan for two years, I think, and he wasn't on top of his game prior to that. You know, I, I was a little bit surprised to see him come back into the starting <laughs> v- 11.
2: Vermaelen peaked on his Arsenal debut.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Smashing <laughs> one in from 25 yards or whatever it was. And, um, it's, it's weird to think, actually, isn't it? What a Rolls-Royce of a player he did look at first when he yeah. came to that team and never quite delivered against that. A lot of injury problems, of course. But yeah, I was a little bit surprised to see him starting those games. I don't know what else Belgium have got at the back. But um, yeah, in terms of Vermalen, Vertonghen, and de they all feel like they're towards the end of their cycle, as yeah. it were. And maybe maybe we're sort of in that place for this golden generation. That was a lot of the talk when uh, Belgium went out. You know, yeah. This might be the end of their...
2: A golden era it felt very Roberto Martinez didn't it the performance
1: yeah well, I, what do you make of Roberto Martinez because I've um, I'm, I find him fascinating there was a BBC aired a documentary all about his time in Belgium um, it's really interesting really worth watching it right. sort of goes right from his appointment all through him becoming kind of the manager then the head of the the technical director of the federation effectively um and he's clearly he's clearly very well-respected, very well thought of, but always seems to be a bit of a kind of nearly man with mm. the results, you know. Yeah. I, 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 I think he'll get a big job, actually, at some point, a big club job. A um, big,
2: now, when you say a big club job, do you mean like Newcastle or do you mean a… No,
1: no. I mean like a really big, like a sort of, you know… Um, a Champions League or certainly a top six European club. I I do think that... Well, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I just think he seems to hold enough sway and respect within the game that um, I kind of... I've got a sort of a hunch. I've got a weird hunch that one day he'll be Arsenal manager. Oh. Because... His strengths and his flaws seem to fit really well.
2: Yeah, but maybe that would preclude him from taking the job because we need to, you know, uh, be a bit more strengthy and a, a lot less flawy, if you know what I mean. But, yeah, but I don't know if you've seen Arsenal I, and the oh, way we yeah, operate. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I have, I have. I, I listened to him on the, I think he did the Jamie Carragher podcast a while back. Right. Or somebody podcast. Anyway, I listened to him and he sounds like a very nice man, a very intelligent man. He thinks a lot about the game, but it's hard to escape the track record, isn't it? Mm. You know? Mm.
1: Um, Well, I I think in some ways there are some echoes with uh, Mikel Arteta in that he's a coach that players kind of eulogise about, speak very highly of, love working with. um, And it seems to be very well thought of within the game, but maybe the results aren't quite there. Obviously, they're they're different. But an interesting point is that they do know each other quite well. And apparently, that relationship has played a part in Arsenal's interest and pursuit of Albert Zambi Laconga. Um, mm. So, you know, Martinez um, apparently has encouraged quite a lot of young Belgian players to, if possible, move to major European leagues, especially the Premier League. He's a big proponent of the Premier League. And he obviously has seen Laconga at close hand. He was mm. training with the squad shortly before the Euros. Um, and apparently, Arsenal kind of sought his advice on the player. So that'll be an interesting one to watch, and we'll be, I guess, seeing him in part of the Belgian setup going forward, assuming we get that deal done.
2: Yeah, assuming. Well, look, nothing has happened yet, really, in terms of yeah. um, deals being done. But I note that you guys haven't had a chance to read it yet uh, this morning. But the Athletic have done a piece on Nuno Tavares. Um, yeah. So I mean, that that must be uh, based on uh, some relative. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like you got, uh, you must think it's certainty. pretty b- certainty. Exactly, yeah. that's it. So, uh, like, uh, yeah, you know. we're very, very confident that one will get
1: done, and you know that's been reported elsewhere as well. But I think, um, you know, the players. I think there's even been video footage of him boarding his flight out of Portugal to the UK. So, I think that one is a matter of time at this point. And mm. in fact, time was kind of the crucial component in the deal, as far as I can see. Benfica, you know, had interest in the player from other clubs. I think Napoli, I think mm. Southampton looked at him. But ultimately, they had some financial pressures that meant they needed to sell this player pretty quickly in terms of their accounting. Right, And Arsenal right. were able to step in and secure, you know, a fairly reasonable price. I think it's sort of £8 million Euros rising to, to about 10 potentially mm. um, you don't get a lot for that these days uh, so true. to get a player who you know feels a, a, a need within the squad yeah. um, is a good thing and and as a player I mean I think he's pretty raw and I think there's a lot of unknowns but it's kind of a difficult spot to fill isn't it yeah. do you want to come in and wait for Kieran Tierney to get injured and um, it's a tricky one and I think I think the club have probably made the right decision gambling on a, a younger guy in that spot who is almost certainly going to improve over the next few years
2: yeah I mean there were two ways they could do it they could bring in a young player who could develop um, you know mm. while Tierney is very much the first choice or you bring in an old guy who's happy to see out his career and play as and when required and we've had too many of those old guys I think so if it if a deal if this deal does go through maybe it does suggest that there is a a change in in the thinking i think we've highlighted before haven't we that when you look at the players that we have been linked with most strongly in this transfer window they're all sort of in the 20 to 24 age bracket which suggests a, a kind of a strategy or at least some kind of joined up thinking there
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, almost exclusively, it's hard to think of anyone who's been seriously linked who's kind of above 24 Mm. or something like that. And it does feel deliberate. It does feel like a reaction in Mm. some ways to some of what we've seen in the recruitment in the last few years, a lot of short-termism, a lot of stopgap signings. Clearly, uh, somebody somewhere along the line appears to have put their foot down about that um, or at least made a strategic decision to move away from it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's the kind of signing that fans seem to really want. You know, it's, it's odd. Like, he might be not that good. Like, we don't really know. But mm. it, it feels economically like a kind of viable gamble.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think you can – everyone can accept that a transfer works out or doesn't work out. But if you're <sighs> – if you're questioning the the intelligence behind a deal, it becomes more difficult, doesn't it? Like, do you want to give a long contract to another 32-year-old? No, you don't. You can't keep doing that. So you need to see some signs that lessons are being learned and how many times have we spoken about that. So regardless of whether this guy turns out to be any good or not, and I've got no idea and I hope really that we would barely see him to be honest, because it will mean that Kieran Tierney is fit and ready for 38 Premier League games, which is what I want to see next season. So if we barely see this guy, I'm fine with that. But even if he doesn't work out, if he turns out to be crap or a problem or whatever it is, at least you can say, well, we tried to do it the right way or a better way than we have in the past.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, you stand a very good chance of getting your money back on him, kind of whatever happens. I think with the pedigree he'll have, having, you know, come through at Arsenal, as it were, or come through us for a few Mm. years. Um, And, you know, there is a logic to bringing in a Portuguese-speaking defender, especially on the left-hand side. He might have Gabriel there next to him. Uh, There's a little Portuguese-speaking gang at Arsenal, as we know, for better and worse. Um, So we've slot right into that. I think, uh, I think it's a really interesting one. I think, you know, it's something we all wanted to see addressed. We wanted it done in January, really. The fact that we didn't arguably cost us, but the reason we didn't is we felt we couldn't get the right kind of player in mm. the right kind of profile. It seems, at least, we have sort of belatedly done that now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see um, little bits and pieces of him. I imagine that will be primarily in the cup games. You'd think, yeah. Um, I mean, depending um, you know, on that how many second we round have. league cup game, we're also excited about. <laughs> um yeah which for, the, for the first time in forever uh so yeah um glad you know it's a long list of stuff and that feels like we're very close to ticking one off.
2: Mm. what else i mean i suppose we have to have the inevitable william saliba conversation i think so i think so i
1: mean yeah so the story came out from uh david about Marseille potentially being the destination I have to be honest I was there was a sort of outpouring as is often the case under David's tweets an outpouring of um alarm and sort of shock almost at this story which really surprised me because I think the reporting has been pretty consistent that um Since the Ben White interest emerged, that probably meant Saliba was going to go out again.
2: Yeah, but I think it was also predicated on some previous stories, um, you know, which said that Saliba was going to get a chance in preseason. And and I think people got invested in that, to be honest. Um, You know, I, I would say that, you know, given the fact that Saliba's agent was in... Uh, London Highbury last House. week in yeah. Highbury House had a meeting with with Edu was Mikel Arteta there I'm not sure um, I don't quite know who was in that meeting but the fact that this has come out so quickly afterwards suggests to me anyway that the club have had a pretty good idea of what they wanted to do with William Saliba all along mm-hmm. not not a case that they sat down and went hmm, well we see how he play he's played with Nice. it feels to me anyway like this was always going to be the plan. And like you say, the Ben White thing has obviously played into that when you're going to buy another central defender, there isn't room at the inn for everybody, so somebody's got to go. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, maybe that that frustration was because a lot of people believed he was going to get a chance in preseason. I'm not sure that was ever really the case. How do you, how do you view that? Does that, um, you know, the fact that the club have... A good idea of what they want to do, whether you agree with it or not, they've been decisive, right? I feel, you know, myself that I'm kind of glad they're sorting this out now, rather than it running on all summer, because, you know, the online discourse, which I know isn't necessarily representative of everything, has become so polarized around this player, you know, this young yeah. 20-year-old central defender who people, I think, um, you know, bought into the idea that he was going to be some kind of defensive savior because you pay 28 million quid for a defender and a, uh, an 18-year-old and you're thinking, well, you know, this, this has got to be special. This has got to mm. be because a club like Arsenal doesn't pay that kind of money for that kind of player without very good reason. Increasingly, I think there's something, and I've said this before, I think there are things about this situation that we're not aware of, but I'm kind of glad that if they are going to loan him out again, they've done it now, well, they're close to doing it now, and we can sort of tick this off and keep an eye on him and all the rest, uh, but it isn't going to play out across the rest of what remains of the transfer window.
1: No, and I think it's worth adding as well there were some Reports, I think, from Le Keep about a purchase clause being inserted for Marseille, which I don't think have any. No, that not has any basis. Yeah. In fact, I don't think that's the situation. I think it's going to be a, a pure loan deal. Um, if there's any purchase that's kind of related to it, I wonder if it might be to do with Matteo ganduzzi You know, you wonder if it's kind of a, a case of well, if you pay up for the one guy, you can have the other. Mm. Um, well, it's interesting that both those players seem to be headed to the same destination anyway
2: um, well, I've got a question on Arsenal's. that now for a i yeah. I'll give you that yeah. one now in a sec but yeah go on
1: uh, I was going to say yeah I think it's true that we can infer that Arsenal have a pretty clear idea of what they want to do I think we can probably also infer that maybe Saliba has a quite a clear idea of what he wants to do you know I'm not sure how enthusiastic he would be about coming back to Arsenal and being you know, third or fourth choice centre-back and not developing, not playing games. Mm. I actually don't think that would be in his best interests. So I think everyone's kind of in a, of an, a similar mind about this situation. Um, I mean, listen, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I went and watched Saliba at St Etienne and I thought this is a really talented player um, who can make a massive contribution to Arsenal in the coming years. And I still think that. What I do have to say is none of us
2: know how he would fare in the Premier League. Um, Does that make you wonder whether a loan to Marseille is the best option or not? How how much yeah. can a club insist, for example, You know, when there are loan offers for a player, and, and we believe there are a couple from France, maybe a couple from the Premier League. Um, you know, can Arsenal say, no, we don't want you to go to France. We want you to go and play for Newcastle in the Premier League so we can see what you're doing in the Premier League. Or is, you know, what a player wants and how like if if Saliba really doesn't want to go to Newcastle and we force him to go to Newcastle, are you really getting a true representation of the player because you're immediately putting in uh putting him into an environment which is uncomfortable he doesn't want to be there he's not happy that's going to play on how he trains how he performs et cetera et cetera like surely while I see the logic of saying we should make him go on loan to a Premier League club, what a player actually wants. And remember, he's still only 20 with loads of time to develop. What a player wants is surely a a really big factor in this, because if he goes to Marseille, I know it might be comfortable, etc. But, you know, if he's happy and he plays well and he plays often and he develops, is that not the ideal scenario for a loan deal like this for a player of his age?
1: Well, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I probably would have said, oh yeah, I'll pick a Premier League team ideally. But when you think about it, I mean, they say Newcastle, they've been mentioned in dispatches. We've just sent Joe Willett to Arsenal. And all we're saying is, well, he did well, but we don't know if that's a good fit. Mm There's such a different style of team. How do we know how he would work in the Arsenal 11? Um, And, you know, I think the same might be said of Saliba. You know, you hear people say... Oh, Rob Holding would have done well at Newcastle because he's sort of a, a deep defender. I mean, we know they're a very stylistically different team. And mm. actually, I think Marseille are managed by Sam Pauli, the former Chile manager, who, like Arteta, is a bit of a Bielsa disciple, um, probably a manager Arteta knows and admires. I think that maybe Marseille is a better fit, um, If you're looking at him and thinking, how can he translate that to Mm. to what Arteta wants to do? I mean, you know, if you ask me straight up, do I think Saliba's coming back to Arsenal next summer and going to be part of the first team squad? I think that does become a really difficult question. I mean, it's really hard to know at this stage how serious the club are about integrating him at any point. Mm. But he is on a long enough deal that they can afford this season out on loan. I think he'll have two years when he gets back um, and can make a decision then. And who knows what position the club will be in, what position the manager will be in. Um, you know, if mm. Edu is looking after the future of the club, I don't think he should be selling William Saliba because he may have a contribution to make down the line. I mean, he is still so young. And how many Premier League teams are hanging their hats? on a 19, 20-year-old central defender.
2: Well, that's it. I mean, the only name you ever hear is Fofana, and I get it. He did well at Leicester. He's a good player, but, you know, they did concede more goals with him in the team last season. So there is a price to pay for for young defenders. I'm not saying that Saliba couldn't come in and, you know, contribute to Arsenal or play well or whatever it is, but, you know... I just And can't. I think when they brought Fafana in, by
1: the way, they were they were playing four at the back primarily, and they still had Evans and Soyunchu. So I don't think they envisaged kind of coming to rely on him mm. or using him quite as much as they did. He did very well and he did excel. Um and who knows, Saliba may do the same. Um yeah. I mean so look I not know that for it, twelve months.
2: There's just so much anger over this one. It's I I I just can't get angry about um, to the extent that, that some people are. You know, he is a 20-year-old central defender. They they have a lot to learn at that age. You know, uh, I see people say stuff like, well, Tony Adams was captain at 20 years of age, but Tony Adams wasn't the finished article at 20 by any means. Mm. You know, he lived in, a, in an environment, a footballing environment where there was much less, I'm not going to say less scrutiny, but not everything you did would become... Um, you know, a GIF or a meme or a video, like every single thing that footballers do is under the microscope these days. It is different for for 20-year-olds now than it was for 20-year-olds in the early 80s when Tony Adams was breaking through. You know, it's not the same kind of thing. And I get the whole, if you're good enough, you're old enough. I absolutely get it. But, you know, I, I just, as a deal, you know, we've paid 28 million pounds for a, for a player who's not going to play for us for 3 seasons. And I think if you're going to be angry about the deal itself, I think that's fair enough. I really do because it's a it's a big waste of resources. Particularly that summer of 2019 when you think what what 28 million might have got us in terms of an established central defender. You know yeah, what I mean? And
1: actually that summer there were people within Arsenal who felt that, that you know, I think that was the summer we spent big on Pepe as well. Yeah. I think there were people saying some of that resource should have been allocated to signing a first team ready centre half. Um
2: yeah, particularly as the Koscielny thing was going on in the background. Blowing up, yeah. You know, that was going on and, and then like they manufactured this scenario where where David Louise comes in, you know, I think there's there's more to so, that so summer than far, we know.
1: So far, it's obviously not money well spent. No. I I do think if you have to, if you're going to say, well, you know, there may be a long-term view here, then you have to leave open the possibility that in five, six, seven years' time, that 28 million does look like a reasonable investment. If Saliba does integrate and does Mm. contribute through his 20s in his prime, then you say, okay, you know, fair play. A A decade on, that does look like decent money. But... We have no idea if that's going to happen. And personally, I'm not especially confident
2: that it will. Um, Like if I gave you £100 right now and the bet was William Saliba will play for Arsenal next season, how much of that £100 would you be willing to wager on that happening?
1: Uh, I think he will play. Probably I'd be like 30% something like that Mm. you know i i I would sway towards not um Mm. and part of that is just a sense of like i've never found anything arteta said publicly particularly convincing on saliba um even when he said he'll come back and be assessed i was always thinking you know well that doesn't mean a lot of people took that as he's coming back but to me it just meant well yeah he's scheduled to
2: I mean, what's what's the thought process behind the decision making? Like, they've come to the decision. They've come to the decision without preseason starting again. They don't feel like they need to see him up close and personal to decide what they want to do with him. And, you know, some people will say it's... Mismanagement. Other people will say, well, they're trying to manage uh, the career of a 20-year-old defender who needs to play more regularly to actually become the defender everyone wants him to be, right? So what's the thought process or the, or the decision-making process? There's a, a guy who is the loan manager called Ben Knapper. I mean, yeah. he's obviously in contact with the players who are out on loan. He's assessing the performances. He's producing – I imagine he's producing – you know, dossiers or whatever i don't know but like a a powerpoint presentation or whatever the fuck you know to to highlight how william saliba did at nice during his loan spell there so the strengths the weaknesses what's good what's bad etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know that mm. that has to play a part in in this it's not simply a case that you know one person has said well no i don't like his face let's get him out of here
1: no, there must be a process there. And, you know, you'd think video would be involved in that, watching his games, tracking his performances. Um, I don't think there's been masses of contacts between, you know, Arteta and Saliba since he went out on loan. Mm. But then that's not specially unusual. I mean, you know, that's been the case with quite a few players. I, I... Uh, It does just seem that this was a decision that was taken a little while ago. I mean, if you think about the order in which rumours have broken or Arsenal's interest in players appears to have accelerated, Mm. Ben White kind of led the charge, didn't it? Um, You know, and a lot of people were angry about that. Why are we going for a centre-half first, seemingly? And I think, you know, the fact that we were making moves towards a Ben White deal that early in the window suggests we absolutely knew what Saliba's fate would be. Do you think it's going going to
2: be... Um, an issue for Ben White, if and when <laughs> he does sign, that there are going to be people who resent his presence in the team because, you know they they would have preferred to see William Saliba get a run, or they're they're invested yeah. in in the Saliba story, etc. Every time et he makes
1: a mistake, it'll be like, oh, you know, we spent fifty million on this guy and we had Saliba. Mm. Um, yeah. <sighs> I actually think he'll be okay Uh, uh, for two reasons. Number one is that fans love signings and they desperately want signings to succeed. I think that's in part why there is so much feeling around Saliba. Um, We invest in the idea of these players. By the time the deals happen, we've talked ourselves into them. Um, And I think that will be true for Ben White as well. I also think the fact that stylistically, he's quite a different player Mm will serve him well in that regard. You know, I think, you know, Saliba's a different body type, uh, different sort of shape as a defender. And I think that will help avoid direct comparisons. Mm. But yeah, it'll be, I think it'll be the manager actually who comes under fire and maybe Edu and the more club more than- generally. Right. If, if Ben White doesn't work out and Saliba is... Liga player of the year I think it's the club who will get it in the neck
2: all right uh, here's a question from the discord from just increase the font size Malik Bergman who says mm-hmm. hi folks I'm not sure about you but I can't shake the image of Matteo Genduzi as evil kermit whispering into Saliba's ear next season at Marseille are you concerned at all about their relationship and how it may impact Saliba and his feelings towards Mikel Arteta and Arsenal Um, so I mean obviously if people aren't aware it looks like Matteo Genduzzi is going to join Marseille and uh, Saliba could go to Marseille we know that uh, Genduzzi was unceremoniously dumped by Mikel Arteta um, probably not that well disposed towards the manager, would you have concerns that he might be just poisoning his mind?
1: I mean, uh, pure speculation, but I I don't know how much uh, help, you know, Saliba will need getting to those conclusions. I think there's probably, you know, there's a lot of water under the bridge already between him and the manager, one Hmm. suspects. And I do worry about it a little bit. I remember you know, these things get blown out of proportion. But I remember some sort of social media interaction between the two that implied a kind of, you know, brothers in arms spirit, um... I th- it was probably blown out of proportion. But it was something like one of the players said, you know, I'm free or something when they managed to go out on loan and somebody liked it. Or I don't know. There was something that people on the internet managed to infer. Oh, these I remember
2: together. this. It was when Saliba went on loan and there was a picture of Mikel Arteta dressed up as a prison guard and he was, <laughs> you know, he was chaining them up. And he and was beating him, wasn't he? Yeah, he was he, beating yeah, him, yeah. No, no I know it. No, I don't know. But
1: um, uh, do I worry about that? Um, A little bit. But I think Mm. they are different cases. I mean, Gunduzi, you know, I think whatever the structure or organisation of that deal is going to be in such a way that he ain't coming back. I think with Saliba, the door is, if not open,
2: ajar. 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 Yeah. I like the idea of um, Gunduzi as evil Kermit. Uh, it's quite, a, it's quite a good one. But uh, yeah, look, I, th- there's two things. One, I suppose, is that you know Saliba uh, is a man with a mind of his own, regardless of you know whatever is said to him by somebody else. Just because your friend doesn't like something doesn't mean that you can't or have to dislike it too. Although I could see good reasons as to, <laughs> as to why he might not. Um, I suppose the other one is like if it, it's only a concern if there is a plan. To reintegrate Saliba next summer, so
1: it yeah, maybe may you, you make a good point about him having a mind of his own. Yeah, you know, I think that we shouldn't <clears throat> we shouldn't put this all on the club entirely. I think you know it's very possible that the player himself is like, I want to go and I want to play. Um, and you know, I, I think whatever you think of him, his chances of coming straight into the Arsenal first eleven and playing thirty eight
2: games. Probably fairly slim. Mm, whereas he could play week in, week out for Marseille. Um, so we'll so, see. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, look, people, uh, Arsenal fans will be keeping a very close eye on what happens in Liga with uh, Marseille, uh, Matteo Ganduzzi to a small extent, but obviously William Saliba.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I've got some some sad news for you, Andrew. By the way, that's oh, just broken. Okay. You're re- you're going to be reeling from this. Uh, okay.
2: okay. Our set piece coach has left. Gone to the great free kick wall, yeah. in the kicked sky. into
1: touch in the sky. He died of death by a thousand short corners. They said. Well, I mean, um,
2: we were. I think defensively good from set yes. pieces. No, I mean that we was were. that was uh, an improvement. We were. We didn't concede many goals from corners. How much of that was? Down to him, I'm not 100% sure. I think what we can say is that our attacking set pieces don't make me cry any tears over this one. As long as we can maintain the defensive improvement, if we can bring somebody else in. um,
1: Yeah, he's gone to Malmo um, to work with them. I'm not sure exactly in what capacity. Um, But he, yeah, I think defensively we were good. On set pieces now. And I think we should, he should get credit for that. Mm. I think in attacking terms, there's probably room for improvement. For sure. But it'd be interesting to see if he's replaced directly, you know, will we bring in another specialist?
2: I think specialist we have, like uh, Nicholas Jover has mm. come in from Manchester city. So Mikel Arteta has, has, gone back to his old stomping ground, uh, Charles Watts reporting, uh, that we've gone for, for this guy. So, um, That'll be interesting. Oh, he He's previously worked with ex Brentford coach, by yeah. the way, Nicholas Jover. Everybody's oh. ex Brentford these days, aren't they?
1: Let's just buy Brentford and be done with it. <laughs> uh,
2: well, look, uh, things beginning to happen. Anything else you want to touch? on? I mean, what about the Gendouzi to Marseille move? Not the not the actual structure because I've got a question about that. We can deal with that in part two. But like, um, the the move for Ganduzi himself—it doesn't appear that too many other teams were were interested. Um, we have made a small profit on him, so yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, barely. I imagine once you factor in the wages and stuff. But yeah, I, I think it's an odd one, Ganduzi. It's a really odd one. I mean, I know you were always um, slightly more circumspect mm. in your assessment of the player. Mm. I think. You know, I do think the internet went a bit wild with Gendouli at one stage. And I do think sometimes his ability was overstated. Um, But, you know, clearly he is a talented player and a big, big character. And I think that will work for him to a certain extent in the course of his career. I think it's also going to cause him problems. And, (sighs) you know, it remains to be seen if he sort of becomes... You know Roy Keane or Joey Barton, basically. How is that channeled? Well, he's
2: definitely not becoming Roy Keane, no chance. <laughs> he's not even close <laughs> no, in no, terms of you know talent. What I mean. But like, I do, I do know what you mean. Like, is he able to channel that appropriately?
1: Yeah, not. I mean, Joey Barton had a lovely time in Marseille, so maybe. Yeah, there you go. a good
2: move. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I see stuff like you know uh, he was worth forty million last year, and now we're only selling him for ten million. I'm like, he was never worth forty million. There's no. Well, the way thing is, if he, he
1: was. was it, You know, when he was at the height of his value, probably after his first season, right, where he was a bit of a breakout Mm. star under Unai Emery. The reality is, I I reckon a lot of those people complaining about that wouldn't have countenanced selling him at that time. So, you know, it's it's easy to go where he was worth whatever he was worth then, but Mm. you probably wouldn't have done the deal. So it doesn't matter, essentially. I think... You know, he's probably worth a bit more than what we've got, I imagine. And, but he is sort of damaged goods. You know, he's as we had the conversation on here, whatever it was a week Last ago. Week, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's a player people know we don't want, and um, mm. you know that's a, that's an issue. And he probably has a bit of a patchy reputation, to be honest with it Yeah, the game I mean, there,
2: this point. there it doesn't seem like there was a long list of clubs banging down the door to try and sign him either and that has an impact on on you know the price that you get for a player so
1: yeah I mean I remember when he first was leaving the club there was talk of kind of Barcelona you know and that's never materialised mm, I mean at the end of the day you will pay stupid. the price for being completely unable to head the ball
2: oh it's ridiculous ridiculous
1: <laughs> I, I, I wish we'd got more money for him I do it would have been helpful mm.
2: but equally I, I, I sort of don't care <laughs> yeah, look, I think this is one of the things that we had to do this summer. We had to, you know, get rid of certain players. He is one of the players that was very obviously going to go. It looks like that is, you know, pretty much done at this point. So just uh, check it off the list and get on with the other stuff that we have to do. You know, there's we keep talking about how much there is to do. And the more we do, you know, the more we can focus on some of the more important things as well. So, um yeah, again, a long list. Mm. Something takes off. All right, will we take a break? Uh, we've got plenty of questions, so we can uh, we can crack into those in part two. How about that? That sounds good. All right, we'll be right back with your questions and more in part two after this. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog and at Arse Blog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. James, you we were just talking about Matteo Ganduzzi, and he has posted a farewell to Arsenal on his Instagram account.
1: Oh, my word. Is it as is, um, emotional and moving as his farewell to Unai Emery, or his congratulations to Unai Emery as It's
2: it well. not quite as... Weird. Florid. Florid is a great word. <laughs> but it is as a thank you for everything I discovered and learned so much during my time here. It would be impossible to list everything without forgetting one memory or word. But I will never forget any minute spent with the Gunner's jersey. Blah, blah, blah. Thanks for the good times, the bad times. I can only wish the best to the club and its fans who deserve so much. Trust me. Goodbye, Arsenal. I will never forget and will be a gooner. Forever. So that pretty much tells you that that deal is done and dusted. Matteo Genduzzi going to Marseille on loan with an obligation to buy. So we have a couple of questions around that. One comes from Radiohead Tim, who's at Radiohead Tim on Twitter. And he says, We have agreed two loan deals with obligations to buy next season. Do we not need any money this season? Or are we looking to pay in installments for our incoming deals? Um, What what do you make of deals like this one? I think we spoke about it before, didn't we, that because of the, the financial impact of COVID, clubs are looking for a season with fans, with ticket sales, with merchandise, with all the revenue that you generate from having fans back in the stadiums to sort of fund transfers, next season, if you like. So kicking the mm. financial can down the road a little bit. What's the other one we've done?
1: Sorry for Well, uh,
2: Mavropanos has gone to Stuttgart. Ah, yes. And I think, I'm not sure it's an obligation, or it may well be an obligation, but it is I one think it's of a those. very
1: attractive option, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, it, it seems likely that will happen. I mean, I think this is probably less to do with what money Arsenal have and more to do with what money clubs in yeah. Europe don't have. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly with Marseille, that seems to be the case that, you know, this is essentially creative accounting, you know, a, a way of sort of saying you'll pay for the player, but not having to do it right away. Um, and I think Arsenal probably know that given the revenues they have, the season ticket money, etc., coming back into the club, the huge TV revenue they have compared to other European clubs, even without Champions League or Europa League football, they're probably in a healthy enough position that they can afford to wait. And actually, they're better off waiting 12 months and getting a decent return, although whether or not it's decent could be debated, than getting less this summer. Mm. Uh, and, and yes, I mean, in answer to the other question, I think Arsenal, of course, are going to look to use to spread payments over deals as they always do you know it's very very rare? Yeah, that you go in up front and pay cash, as it were. Um,
2: Only if you're doing a, a, a release clause like party, you know.
1: Exactly, yeah. Which I mean, Arsenal did do, and and how are Arsenal going to do that? Almost certainly by borrowing money. You know, I mean, there's, mm. there's, there's there's no other way that Arsenal can spend significantly
2: this summer. So, well, if you're I one mean, of those fans, there is God, one other way. Yes. Which Sorry. is the owner funding the, the transfer. The gift from, yeah, from, yeah, from but, an owner. But I yeah. don't believe that's what's going to happen.
1: So. No, I, I stand by my, there's only one other possible, <laughs> there's only one possible. <laughs> yeah, one. yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, but I think, and you know, if you're the kind of fan who's inclined to be concerned about loading debt or, you know, the club borrowing money, then I think there is going to be reason after this transfer window to be mm. worried about that because Arsenal are going to have to do that. I guess they just see that as a, given the fact that the Coggies aren't inclined to necessarily gift yeah. um, money to the club, I guess they must see that as a necessary step.
2: So do you see these kind of deals becoming a bit more common?
1: Yeah. You know? I, mean, I, I find the sort of wording of it interesting, you know, like what is to stop them just calling it a permanent deal, really, with Ganduzi, because it sort of is. Mm. Um it's just when the payment actually happens. I mean, I guess there's kind of a, a a quirk in the player registration in that he will technically belong to Arsenal for another 12 months. But I, I do think a lot of deals like this will happen. And, you know, just like with Nicola Pepe, Arsenal paid £72 million, but it's not like they paid very much of that up front. Mm. Um, so I think it's inevitable. And I think that, if you're selling players to the continent, you're up against it this summer. Um, and we had this conversation about: is that why there's a certain degree of sense in investing in English or Premier League players because your chances of selling them on to an English club might be better, and then you might actually get some money for them. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, it's tough if I'm, you're trying to sell to a French team right now.
2: Exactly. You know, particularly as the the. The the money, given the TV situation in France, is um, difficult as well, isn't it? And and like, if, for example, let's imagine you're a a club in Italy right now and you're thinking about Lucas Torreira, for example. Yeah. Are you going to go to Arsenal? I mean, Arsenal have demonstrated to the market that they are amenable to doing this kind of a deal. Does that leave you more open to those kind of offers, um, you know, are are transfers like this more complicated than, um, you know, here's 10 million, we'll offer you 10 million. Okay, we accept, there you go, paste the money, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, mm. are they any more complex or is it just a, a question of um, just arranging? It takes a little bit more arranging financially. Yeah, they
1: are hugely complex. And actually, oftentimes that's kind of a lot of the negotiation is – You know, um, okay, you're going to buy the player. We know the player wants to join you. Mm. We're amenable to a deal. But what are the terms of that deal? You know, even if you've got, look at Ben White as a great Mm. example. You know, everyone knows the price tag on Ben White's head is basically 50 million quid. But the sort of how and the how of that 50 million quid and the when is kind of the bit to be, negotiating mm. the bit that takes a lot of time and back and forth and it's about finding you know when, especially when clubs need to sell or want to sell it's about finding the right structure mm. that makes them happy uh, that is affordable and you know I think that in all Arsenal's negotiations this summer that I know about that is a big part of it and, and to be honest the primary reason for delay in a lot of these instances you know I think, I think Arsenal are going to get Ben White. I think Arsenal are going to get Lekonga. Um But I think it's just about figuring out exactly how. And maybe those conversations and maybe those com- discussions have greater importance now with the world in the financial state mm. than it is than at any point previously.
2: Maybe so. Uh, there was one on the Discord here as well. It comes from. Uh, do, 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 do. Arsenal FCTX who said uh, James said on Twitter he's going to look into the difference between a loan with an obligation to buy versus selling the player outright with a uh, or multiple deferred payments my suspicion has to do with the player's contract and how he's paid until he's owned outright by the loanee or the buying club but I'd love to know what you found out if you found out anything uh, since that tweet
1: I only said that yesterday and I haven't actually looked into it much yet but his point or their point rather is very good because um, maybe it is the case that Arsenal were making a contribution towards Gendouzi's salary for this final year of his
2: contract. I hope um, not. I mean, that should be manageable. I mean, Gendouzi arrived four years ago or three years ago now as a young player from, um, from France. Yeah. Like his salary and his wages wouldn't have been so There's outrageous, look- would they?
1: Was there a second deal? No,
2: I don't think so.
1: Foot. Okay, fair enough in that case. No, I mean, I wouldn't think that's particularly high in that in that instance. But um, yeah, I don't know. That, like, like I say, I'm interested in as to what exactly the reason is that Marseille would need it to be one and not the other. Um, and I will try to find out because I think we're going to hear more about this type of transfer. Mm. Um, here's a question that's not about Arsenal. So, good day, gents. What are your thoughts on the various manager appointments that have been made over the last week? Do you think Nuno or Benitez will improve Spurs or Everton to any degree that will cause Arsenal problems? And then after that, I've got some questions about uh, Patrick Vieira at Crystal Palace. But let's start with Nuno and Benitez.
2: Um, Like, I think Nuno is... Not as good a manager as some of the names that that Tottenham have been linked with. Like, Conte was genuinely a bit like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like the sound of that. But I do remember down the years, many, not many times, but quite a number of times, Tottenham have appointed a manager and you think, ooh, that's quite good. But then the inherent Tottenham of Tottenham kicks in. You know what I mean? It sort of is a great equalizer. It doesn't matter who they're like. Even Mourinho, you think, well, there's a guy with a track record of winning trophies, regardless of where he where he is. He wins trophies. He'll win them something. And, you know, it ended the way it ended. So I think mm-hmm. we have to look at the Spurs DNA being the most powerful uh, force in nature. Um, so, you know, Nuno is not particularly uh, an uh, attacking coach is he Uh, and that flies in the face of what Daniel Levy was saying about the kind of football Tottenham want to play so leave him on Uh, let's see what happens there I think Rafa Benitez leaving aside all the emotion that Everton fans have about it an understandable emotion that they have about it I think is a good appointment for them are they unhappy Everton fans About appointing a former Liverpool manager. Yeah. 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 Are they? I mean,
1: (laughs) uh, genuinely, I am slightly surprised by that. I know, obviously, he's got the association with Liverpool, but he's worked elsewhere in the Premier League. He loves that city. I think he lives most of the time in that city uh, or certainly has a home there. And I think that is a really good appointment. I think he will improve Everton.
2: Yeah, I think so too. I think so. But I understand completely why they why they might not want him
1: you know yeah yeah I, I i get that i get that but i think they'll soon warm to him if he gets results mm. um i don't think nuno moves the needle much for spurs at all no to be honest same and i think well they played very attractive football in the championship his wolf side very very good
2: but they were bringing but, in Premier League quality exactly.
1: players. To they play were the best the team in that league by a mile. Yeah, um, and in the Premier League, yeah, I think they were more known as a kind of counter-attacking outfit who kept mm. games extremely tight. I mean, weirdly, although Spurs talk about themselves as this kind of great attacking team, I think their most successful football generally has been kind of counter-attacking. I, if I think about. Pochettino's teams and even Mourinho's results in big games when things were going better for him. You know, they've always had... If you've got people like, uh, you know, Son and Bergwijn and others who can break at pace, mm. I think I can see, you know, that um, stylistically there is a fit there for Nuno. I'm just not sure it's a fit that Spurs fans will particularly enjoy.
2: No, I mean, I think the the, the this idea of the kind of football they play um, harks, back, more harks back to 1961. Exactly. To, their, to the last time they won the At league. These
1: stars ours is in this century. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it? It is, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I'm not especially worried about that appointment. Mm. I would have been worried about a Conte, like you say. I would have quite liked the guy, was it Fonseca? Mm. He just seemed very kind of meh. Um, N- I, Nuno I think has always seemed like quite a nice man so that's disappointing mm-hmm. uh, that I now have to hate him and sing songs about his mother but um, yeah aside from that I'm not too worried but what about Patrick Vieira so Ollie Tucker also asked feelings on seeing Vieira at, par- at Palace and then Alan Rennie said what would Patrick Vieira need to achieve at Palace to make him a serious contender next time Arsenal require a manager
2: That's a great question Um, I mean Pleased to see him in the Premier League? Yeah I'm curious to see how he gets on I think it's really uh, it's really interesting to see him get a job in the Premier League Uh, you know If you watch Liga, you can see what he did in his previous job. If you're into MLS, you know what he did over there. But, you know, Premier League is bread and butter for most of us in terms of uh, the kind of uh, uh, football experience that we have. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see what he does. I think he's got a big job in his hands. Palace have a fairly strange squad don't they in terms of the age profiles of a lot of players the contractual situations of a lot of players he must have had some assurances that he's going to be able to reshape the squad to some level or another um, mm-hmm. I mean what is a successful season for Palace where did they finish last year um, well let have a look
1: mid-table I think let's have a look Premier League table they didn't have a great season basically I mean
2: Right, they finished fourteenth yeah. on forty four points, so you know, a good way clear of the the relegation places, but they were particularly low, weren't they, this year? The the relegated teams, Fulham twenty eight points. You know, they talk about mm-hmm. you needing forty points to be safe normally in the Premier League and you would have been safe at twenty nine. So the bar was quite low. Um I mean what's realistic? F- what is realistic? Yeah, I mean a couple of places higher than that, maybe. Top 10 finish, maybe. That would be a brilliant achievement for... That would be hard. For any any Crystal Palace manager to to get them into the top 10, I think would be uh, a fantastic achievement. So, you know, I... What would he realistically have to do to be in contention? (sighs) I don't know, actually. I don't know how you gauge that particular metric. It's very hard, isn't it? Yeah. Like, do they attack uh do you try and you know build an attacking team do you do you be pragmatic and realistic and think okay we're a team that's not going to have as much possession does that that you was know, going to be
1: my suggestion you know rather than league places or mm. results maybe it's about because Crystal Palace have had a very clear identity under Roy Hodgson but one that was ultimately quite uninspiring for their supporters mm. although it was very pragmatic and I would argue pretty effective and kept them in the Premier League multiple times but if you know I think they're at a stage they're at that slightly dangerous stokey stage in their development where they kind of yearn for something more I think if Vieira can create a new identity for Crystal Palace and it's one that's clear, which apparently is what he did uh, when he was working in America quite effectively, he actually developed a real style of play relatively swiftly. I think that might stand him in as good a stead as anything else. I mean, obviously Mm. he's got to keep them in the league, but if he can show that he can, you know, construct a team identity and play with a certain style... I think that might, mm. you know, chime a few chords with the Arsenal hierarchy, but it's a really tricky one. I mean, how it's very difficult to assess a manager who's never really had the kind of job
2: that you'd be offering him, you know? It's. Yeah. But then we've appointed a guy who had no job well, exactly. whatsoever. So you know, there, there's no. Um, it's not you like there is a precedent in
0: that respect. Yeah,
2: <laughs> for sure. You know, so look, it. I, I think people will be able to judge the work that Patrick Vieira does at Crystal Palace in the context of Crystal Palace in the Premier League next season, how they play you know it'll all play out people will be able to make their own minds up on what kind of a what kind of a job he is doing there but until such time as it happens you know it's really difficult to predict because we don't know what kind of playing squad he's going to have you know what his um we've spoken about this plenty of times so like what a manager wants and what he's capable of and i don't mean just individually what he is capable of what he can produce with mm-hmm. the kind of squad that he has plays a big part in the kind of football that a team plays. Like you, you could have, you know, I, I want to go in, I want to play short, passing, free-flowing, attacking football, but I've got 19 lads who look like Ryan Shawcross. You know, you're not going to be able to fucking do it. You know, regardless of how well you could teach that or coach that, you are restricted by what you've got in your squad. So maybe um, it'll be down to what Palace do in the market this summer.
1: What do you think this means, if anything, for Patrick Vieira's involvement with the Daniel Eck
2: kind yeah, of takeover? there was a question uh, from James Anderson, who's at JamesYah77 James on Twitter. He says, what implications will Patrick Vieira's appointment at Crystal Palace have on Daniel Eck's proposed takeover bid, given that he was part of the Invincible team that supported the takeover? Um, I mean... It means that Patrick Vieira is no longer associated with that, I guess. I don't think he can be, can he? No. You know, I, I think, I, yeah. I think I mean, it's a
1: conflict of interest, basically. I think there's rules about
2: that. Um, but, I mean, it might suggest something about, like, it's all gone very quiet, hasn't it, um, on the Daniel Eck front. So whether yeah. that's because he's biding his time and waiting for something to happen or, you know,
1: well, I think he's waiting for something that to happen that probably isn't gonna happen. I think they're waiting for the crunchies position to change. Mm. Um and that's not gonna happen this yeah. summer, is I it? I mean there are um, there
2: are scenarios where another Daniel Eck approach might be more opportune, if you like. Like mm, mm. I, I obviously I don't want this to happen, but if Arsenal are in a really bad position mid season and the season has gone terribly, then such is the depth of feeling about, you know, the the situation we'll find ourselves in, that it would be a good time for Daniel Eck or anyone else to sort of um, show their hand again. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, I would think, prefer I if we had will... a
2: good season next season, you know, first yeah. and foremost.
1: If we take Daniel Eck at his word, he's playing the long game. And mm. I guess, who knows where Patrick Vieira will be in a year or two years or three years. But... Yeah. Um, for the time being, I think we can sort of assume he's he's not attached to that. Yeah. Um,
2: so yeah, yeah. Interesting. No. Good luck to Patrick Vieira for you know thirty six games next season.
1: Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of narrative there. Two former Arsenal captains in the dugout when we when we faced Palace. I'm really pleased for him. Mm. I, I um I said I'm I'm putting a lot of hunches out there. I said one about Roberto Martinez earlier, but I. I, emotionally, I would love to see Patrick Vieira as Arsenal manager. It would be f- fantastic for me because he was, you know, such a player I grew up idolising. He mm. was the heartbeat of the team that I love more than any other. Do I know if he's got the requisite qualities, if he's the right guy? I, I don't really know, to be honest, but be some story. So I'll definitely be keeping a close eye on
2: him. Yeah, exactly. That's why, you know, him managing in England... It does in some way bring him a step It's like we've sent him on loan
1: to Newcastle, you know. We
2: can (laughs) see how he (laughs) copes. Here's a question from Sam Palman who says, if Camavinga is available for 30 million, should we not be interested, young and with plenty of upside? And uh, the Arsenal scout at the Arsenal scout says, why are we wasting our time? Uh, time on guys like Ben White for fifty million, who don't really improve our uh, first eleven relative to their cost. When we have the opportunity to sign Kamavinga for thirty million, he's an Arsenal fan. I'm not sure if that's true, but uh, he says guaranteed starter, incredible ups, upside, obvious move.
1: Yeah, I'm just not sure if we do have that opportunity.
2: I agree. You know? I don't don't think we do. When they're well, what's his option? Manchester United Champions League
1: probably a higher salary or arsenal. Yeah, I Champions League versus no European football. That's a tough battle for us to win, you know. Mm-hmm. We've got London, but that's about it. And I think I think he's a, a top prospect and I think if Arsenal felt they could sign him they probably would. That's basically what I think.
2: Yeah. I don't think we've got any chance. Yeah. I'm not you know uh, it's it if we can pay 50 million for Ben White we can pay 30 million for Camavinga. But I just don't believe Oh, the 30
1: million's not a problem. That's not a problem. But given the money that we yeah, appear to that's be for we're prepared to spend. But it's the player and his decision. Mm. I mean you know we're in a similar situation with Locatelli, right? The uh the boy at Sassuolo who's um Wanted by Juventus yeah. and Arsenal are pretty serious about wanting that player. I think they have gone as far as certainly contacted the club. I don't know if there's been an official offer. I think there might be a little bit of bluster on, on behalf of the Italian uh, president. But definitely it's a serious interest. But the player probably wants to go to Juventus and there's sort of only so much you can do. When the player wants to go somewhere, they tend mm. to get it, don't they? Yeah, well,
2: when one option is vastly superior to the other, (laughs) you know, and I'm, I'm, it kind of hurts me to say Mm. that, but like if you're Locatelli and the option is Juventus or Arsenal right now, Mm. what are you choosing as an Italian midfielder? What are you choosing?
1: Domestically, you know, playing with Ronaldo. There's a lot going for you at Juve. Um, But we have got, uh, Guanosaurus, obviously, you get to have your photo taken with mm-hmm. Um
2: I hear the food in the canteen is quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it is just a—it's a reality that we're having to deal with. That our stock has fallen, and you know, in order to get out of that, we're not going to be able to like that. Who uh, across Europe really wouldn't want to take a, a, a punt on Camavinga, given his his fairly obvious potential. It's not realized. He's still very young, but like there'd be a mountain of clubs if they could do it, would try. Similarly with Locatelli, like, you know, why wouldn't, yeah, the options were not the most attractive option. And that is the reality. And that's the confines in which Mikel Arteta and Edu are going to have to work this summer. I don't, I don't, um, I don't fault the ambition or the intent to sign someone like Locatelli, but I do think it's, um, I do think it's basically impossible if the other option is, is, um, uh, Juventus. Uh,
1: Yeah. And people keep saying, why all these names, you know, why isn't there a clear strategy? I mean, I think the answer is basically because Arsenal don't have dibs. They don't have first choice on a lot of these players. So they have to hedge their bets slightly. Um, Yeah, going to be interesting. I think Locatelli, to be honest, that's a pipe dream. I really think Mm. Italian players, as a rule, will stay in Italy, given the choice. Um, It seems to me anyway. And Juve is a great move, like you say. What about this super white pill? Good morning, gents. What price do you think Aston Villa have to reach where Arsenal seriously start considering selling Smith-Rowe?
2: Seventeen trillion billion gazillion pounds. We had this conversation last week. My opinion on this matter has not changed one bit. We we cannot and should not sell Emil Smith Rowe to um, to Aston Villa. There's just no way we can do it. Hmm. I just. I agree. I just, there, there isn't a price for us. I mean, I know there's a price right there, of course, but, like, there isn't also, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's just There not- isn't a price until they put that money on the table. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, just not uh, yeah. possible. It would be very, uh, very, very bad. Yeah. So, I mean... I had to, like, um, mute Birmingham live on news now because I was just getting sick of fucking stories about this particular thing. But, uh, you know, do you think we've been firm enough in our no?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Arsenal are absolutely unequivocal.
2: Okay, so are Villa just really annoying? Are they just really persistent and annoying?
1: Mm, Well, I think they've annoyed people. (laughs) But I think... um, I mean, they're entitled to do whatever they want, aren't they? It's interesting that sort of not, there hasn't been massive press about Villa's interest. You know, it's not like Villa are sort of coming out. And, you know, it's not like there's quotes from their manager saying, of course, Emil Smith-Rowe is a player we like and blah, blah, blah. I think they are conscious that this is an unwelcome approach. Mm. Um, But I think they may have underestimated the degree to which it's unwelcome. And Arsenal, as far as I understand it, are completely unequivocal and have been completely unequivocal in their response. The player is not for sale. Um, Who knows if Villa will try again? I did see some speculation they may try again. Mm. I think they'll get the same answer, especially if they stay in this kind of ballpark. I mean, ultimately, I think their last offer was 30 million quid. Buendia, they signed for 33, rising to 38. Mm. He was playing in the championship. He's not English you know he's not playing for a rival club ostensibly I think Villa would have to be you know they'd have to be in a different ballpark to even have a conversation with Arsenal yeah yeah Look, And great. I hope that doesn't
2: happen. Of course. Um, right. Here is a question from... Oh, where has it gone now? We have a couple, actually, uh, slightly tactical questions uh, from the Discord. Cluck, the rotisserie chicken, says, mm. a back three seems to be the big trend at the Euros this year, and with us linked to a white who has been deployed a lot in that system with Brighton, Tavares, who seems like a really interesting wing back who surely expects some game time. Do you think there's a chance uh, Arteta could switch to a back three this season with Tierney as a left-sided centre-back like he plays uh, for Scotland with Gabrielle and Ben White personally I don't like that system but it might suit our players while Atti also on the Discord, says, do you think it's plausible we won't actually sign an out-and-out number 10 this window, much to the the dismay of fans, and opt for a 4-3-3 instead of bringing in someone like Locatelli, or he says, instead, bringing in someone like Locatelli who can score goals from the number eight position or looking at Willock or Smith-Rowe to play in that position. So a couple of interesting ones. Yeah,
1: interesting. I mentioned uh, 3-4-3 or three at the back last week because when you watch the Euros, you see it implemented really successfully and it doesn't... A lot of teams have done it really well. Uh, it doesn't have to be a kind of negative system. Um, and I do wonder if there'll be a trend. I think a lot of teams will, not all the time, but will adopt it at points next season. It's mm. just kind of an on en vogue um, formation. and And I think Arsenal, do we have the players in some respects? I mean... You know, we've certainly got enough centre-halves. Um, mm. We've got a great left wing-back in Kieran Tierney, potentially. He's also an option as a, a centre-back. Right-hand side, maybe if Bellowin goes, we don't necessarily have the ideal mm. wing-back, but that might be something we address. Um, I think it's something, I think we'll see Arsenal do it. I mean, the only thing I would say is that I don't think it makes masses of difference at times in the... You know, we tend to build up with kind of two or three at the back. Any, like when Granite Xhaka plays in central midfield, when we build up, he's almost in there as the third centre-half at times. And I wonder if, you know, we might see more of that next season, obviously not with Xhaka. Mm. As for the number 10 thing, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Did you see Martin Odegaard's statement over the weekend?
2: I did. So that pretty much puts pay to... Do you
1: think so? I mean... When we reported that he's likely to stay at Madrid, now he's come out and said that. But I I guess with Madrid, there's always you just never quite know what they might do. You know,
2: it feels a bit like you wouldn't put out that kind of statement unless you were given some serious assurances about you know what what your role in the team or squad was. You know, so if the door were ajar, still, I think he would be. He would be a bit more circumspect, he probably wouldn't say anything like that, you know. Um, it feels or maybe like a- <laughs> he's made
1: the decision that if he is, if he does end up having to go, he wants to be playing Champions League, or, you yeah, know, maybe so. I think yeah, we have that's to also accept true, that as a yeah. possibility as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, Khalil Kierans, who's at Lord uh, Khalil on Twitter, says, Good morning, chaps. With the Odegaard deal off, Buendia, um, the guy who plays for AC Milan. Uh, oh, whose name we can't say. I can't say. You should be able to say ugly Chalinoglu. Chalinoglu, that's the guy. Uh, DePaul, all gone. Madison, too expensive. Our talk, non-existent this summer. Are we left with that horrible underlying fear that two of the bad things will happen? One, Ann stays. Two, we sign Coutinho.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um so the original question was, are we definitely going to get a number 10? And I'm wavering on that, have to be honest. As in, I've always known or thought and written that that was the number one priority. Mm. Um, but it just feels like things are really swinging in Will smith Rose favour a little bit. You know, with the, the interest from Aston Villa and the kind of contract Arsenal are going to have to accordingly give him. Mm. maybe it does put you in a position where bringing in a £50 million number 10 on big money is a little bit problematic. I don't know. I don't know because, you you know, we managed to play Smith-Rowe and Odegaard together. But I do wonder if it might change the type of signing we're looking for in that area of the pitch. If there might be a little bit more emphasis on Smith-Rowe next season Mm. and having I think we do need someone who can you know rotate cover be an option there but maybe it won't be the kind of marquee level that we'd necessarily been thinking that's that's me thinking on the fly I don't know that
2: what if it's Kaio
1: yeah I mean that's the other question is if you if you if you like what Nicola Pepe did last season you know where does that leave Saka? I mean, mm. you want Pepe on the right. He can play from the left. Saka can play from the left. But then you've got M- Martinelli potentially to consider.
2: Going to the Olympics though, so won't be around. Yeah,
1: I, I do still think we could do with another number ten for sure. I, I just, mm. I just don't know who.
2: Are you slightly? concerned that the start of our season is going to be impacted by internationals in that gabrielle is going to the olympics brazil may not get all the way but the final is on august the 7th and they've got some uh, good players so gabrielle and gabrielle martinelli will be at the olympics um bakayo saka played more minutes than any other Arsenal player last season, apart from Bernd Leno and Granit Xhaka, he was second in outfield minutes. He's 19 years of age. He's gone away with England. I think we can see that there has been a benefit, you know, to him uh, by doing that. Right? Um, I think the experience at the Euros, etc., etc., will 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 be great for him. You know, mm. to, to have slotted in as one of the younger players in the squad and for everyone, you see all the England players talking about how much they love him and what a great player he is and all that kind of stuff, right? So I think there are benefits to that, but we've got to give him a rest. We can't just sort of throw him back in. So if England go all the way to the final, that is, what's Sunday? Uh, the 11th. The 11th. So he's going to need some holidays, Preseason starts on Wednesday. The rest of them are coming back on Wednesday. So Saka's going to need a couple of weeks' holidays, at least. Then he's going to need to come back and get up to speed in terms of, you know, fitness. And I know preseason is not quite what it was. Um, You know, they're not going away, eating fish and chips and cakes and coming back and running off the extra stone that they put on over the holidays. I know it's not that anymore. But, you know, (laughs) he is going to need some rest. Similarly, although he hasn't played... Uh, For England, Ben White, he too is going to need a little bit of a rest, isn't he? A little bit of a holiday after a long season with Brighton, a season, uh, you know, the the European Championships with England. He's going to miss a significant portion of pre-season. He's got to come in, get settled, meet everybody. Um, You know, there is, I'm not going to say a danger, but there is plenty to deal with over the opening weeks of the season.
1: Yes, that's a good point. I hadn't really considered that. Um, I think, I think
2: we're doomed. Loss is that what of Gabrielle? You're huh? <laughs> we're doomed. Is that what you are saying? We're doomed.
1: Yeah. I think, I, think we're doomed. I think. we're doomed. I think we're pretty uh, I much think, doomed. I uh, think Gabrielle is the one that would worry you. You know. Um, mm. But if you buy a fifty million pound center a half, you've got to believe they can come in and do a job.
2: You know. Sure, but I just mean like he could come in. You know, let, let's England go to the final. He gets three weeks' holidays. That takes him to the start of August. Our first match is on Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, he's yeah. got to come, join a new club, meet everyone. I know. You know, it's it's and football and yeah, we've got tough, games, yeah, we've got tough games at the start of the season. So
1: also ostensibly he's been bought as a right-sided defender. You know, and and. Uh, Gabriel needs to be placed on the left I and mean, we've got Pablo Marie of course mm-hmm. but yeah I do worry about that we've also got the African Cup of Nations to contend with in January um, mm. which will present its own problems Thomas Partey likely to go away Priyanka Bemiang Mohamed El um, hmm. so that will be a challenge too yeah I do worry about that I worry generally about the start of the season I think there's been an international tournament that's never helpful in terms of cohesion Mm. we've got hard games and the manager's already under pressure Mm. so I am nervous about it (laughs) Um, very much so but we shall see I mean I guess I guess the more business that can get done sooner rather than later the the more it will help with that tricky start yeah yeah Uh, shall we have another question why not uh, okay, let's. Just having a quick look for one there. Um, we've had all that. Number 10. Who's number 10? Um, okay. Henke asks directly, do you think it's coming home or do you think Denmark will take the title for Ericsson? I don't think I should pass comment on this, but what do you think, Andrew?
2: Hmm. Do I, th- do I think it or do I fear it? <laughs> Uh, I know, look, I mean, it's really weird, uh, you know, for for an Irishman to, you know, see an England team with Tottenham's captain scoring the goals, you know, that's difficult to get behind. You know, I love all my English friends and you and all of our English listeners, but sport is all about rivalries and things like that. I think England can win it. I definitely Mm. think they can win it. They've been... Maybe a bit uninspiring in the opening uh, few games, but have England conceded a goal yet?
1: I don't know. Don't think They've so. certainly got the lowest kind of xG against. I mean, they barely give up any chances. Mm. Um, and Jordan and, Pickford's actually had a really good tournament, um, as he tends to do. And yeah, be crap for Everton for two years now.
2: Kane has, you know, scored a few goals now. Awoken. Um, yeah, Raheem Sterling is excellent. You know, there's so much talent in there when you think of Mount, you think Foden, Saka, Grealish. We remembered, but we've got Jadon Sancho the Jayden other Jadon Sancho. Well, I mean, look, the only reason he started the other day is because he's a Man United player now, clearly. Of course, makes all the difference. Yeah, exactly. Know, it makes him obviously. 90% better because now he's with an English club. So, look, mm-hmm. I think England can win it. I think they can win it. I mean... It's not going to be easy against Denmark. Like we said at the start, the story is really something, and I think perhaps overlooked in the 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 ro- romance—that's the wrong word—but you know what I mean. The emotional side of the the Danish story is the fact yeah. that they're a good team. They're a good team with some good players, and I really loved the goal the other night. Um, yeah, Kasper Dahlberg's goal—the the pass with the outside of the right foot—it was like. What's his name? Mela? Is that how you say it? Yeah, I think so. He was infused with the spirit of Thomas Rosicki. Of course, Thomas Rosicki is still alive, <laughs> but he just left his body for a moment to go into the Danish player to provide an assist against his own country. That one hasn't worked at all, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It was yeah. a very, very um, satisfying goal to watch. So I do think that, you know, aside from the emotion, Denmark have been very good. Then you have Spain um, and Italy, who are both obviously technically very good, potentially very difficult opponents. But, you know, I don't think they've been so good that England should be scared. Same as I said last time, they shouldn't be scared of Germany. So, uh, yeah, it could very well come home. Mm. It could.
1: See, yeah, I don't know who out of... I think I'd rather play Spain than Italy. I just think there's something quite ominous about Italy. I think they look very good. Um Spain I don't know. It's not it's not the Spanish teams of the past, I would say, no. even if they have played some very good stuff and scored I think more goals than anyone in the tournament. Um but yeah, there you go.
2: Okay. Uh let's do one final one. It comes from Gary Hunt who's at Mole Cheese on Twitter which is of course. Well, one of the most disgusting cheeses there is. Mole yep. cheese. You know. It's a it's a, it's an acquired taste. It is. Uh, he said, is there any movement on Lacazette, either sale or contract? Are we really going to let a £50 million purchase walk out for free? It seems very Arsenal. And on the Discord, Bittersweet Tim, who says, Good flying sack of morning, gents. What do you think about Lacazette's potential contract extension? And there is some uh, uh, chatter that there's going to be a, a one year contract extension for Lacazette. I don't know how true that is, but yeah, what do, you, know, what do you make myself. of that situation?
1: Um, it doesn't seem like there's loads of interest. You know, we're not hearing big reports of clubs wanting to buy Lacazette. Uh, and if that is the case. Maybe a one-year extension isn't the worst thing in the world, if it gives us an opportunity to sell him down the line. Um, is he, is he, Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Is that is the short answer? I don't know what his situation is. I don't know if he's been off a new contract. Don't know if uh, he um, is for sale. Inter- is fielding interest? I'm sure he is for sale
2: mm-hmm. at the
1: right price. I'm sure he is, but maybe there's not a buyer right now
2: but what about this what if we were to let people know that they could get Lacazette now and pay later <laughs> get your Lacazette just now we have let the world
1: know we're open to doing that and pay by later by doing that yeah. with Guendouzi but yeah it's an interesting one I mean maybe someone will come in there's a long way to go yeah mm. um, and there's a lot of dominoes to fall I, I'd be quite surprised if they offered him a new deal but then if you look at it's a different situation, though. I was going to say, if you look at what they've tried to do with Eddie Nketio and Catio and Reese Nelson, but that's a bit different. You're protecting a, a mm. young asset there that's going to retain value better than Lacazette. Um, mm. it's, it, I know, I am sh- I feel pretty sure, I feel pretty confident that if it's Mikel Arteta's choice and he's offered, oh, you can have Lacazette around, I think he'll take it. But I hope someone else is making that decision, basically.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, I think we should do our best to try and sell him, to be honest. You know, he's got a year left. If we offer him a year extension, he's a year older. He's less valuable next summer. We still have the same problem of trying to to sell him. And while I'm not casting any aspersions whatsoever on Lacazette as a professional or anything like that, he would also be quite entitled next summer to say, well, I've got 12 months left on my deal. I like it here. I'll just stay until the end of my deal. I'll see out my contract, and then I can leave as a free agent and go wherever. You know what I mean? Which it could be the scenario this summer as well. It could be exactly what he's thinking about this summer. So, and he's perfectly within his rights to do that. But I do feel like this is a this is a a player we paid a lot of money for. We can't keep letting players we pay lots of money for leave for free. So um, I think we. I think we've got to do our our utmost to sell, but like you say, who's interested and who's out there, that remains to be seen
1: yeah there may there may be somebody i mean you know he's a useful player for someone if, uh, if but i just yeah I wonder it'd be fascinating to see if that does come to pass what kind of fee we're able to extract
2: mm. Okay, Not a
1: strong point. To no, be
2: it isn't. <laughs> you know, there's uh, yeah, there's some work to be done to convince people that we're good at that kind of thing. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. We will leave it there. Uh, enjoy the football this week. Um, semi-finals coming up. Are they on Wednesday or Tuesday? Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the final on Sunday. Right. So, uh, big week for all the nations involved, and for uh, us neutrals as well. Uh, we can get to see some good games. Uh, James, thank you very much as always Um to you guys for listening. Thank you very much. If you want to give us a rating, review on iTunes, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Does anyone use that anymore? So a lot of people saying the Apple Podcast app yeah, is I've terrible now. Bad, but I've
1: heard it's bad. I've heard yeah. it's
2: bad. I don't use it because I'm not an Apple-y i uh, I'm an Apple computer guy but not an Apple phone guy, so I don't use that one. Uh, but if you want to give us a review somewhere, anywhere, write it on a toilet wall. <laughs> Five stars is the main thing. Exactly. <laughs> All right. We'll catch you on the next one, folks. Bye-bye.